0: Welcome to South Shore Piano, the official podcast of the South Shore Piano School. I'm your host, Jonathan Roberts, and on this podcast, we talk with students, parents, teachers, and other leaders in the arts to find out exactly how music education and the arts are changing lives every day. My guest today is the one and only Rob Flax, based right here in Boston. Rob is a multi instrumentalist, composer, and educator, one of the most astounding creatives I have ever met. Rob can basically create stuff out of out of anything back when the pandemic first began our second month in uh, April of 2020 we decided to have a little contest on our second virtual recital it was a YouTube recital the contest was which student could come up with the most creative excuse for not practicing during quarantine the prize which the students didn't know at the time, was that we were going to take the winning idea, give it to Rob, and have him create a song out of it. The winner was My Piano Was Trying to Bite Me because of the agonies of social distancing. And here's a little snippet of what Rob came up with for that.
1: My piano is trying to bite me. It actively fends off my touch. Perhaps it is sending a message to me That I'm trying to practice too much It's acting a little bit edgy The lid will come down with a crack but all that I'm doing is helping with chewing. I'm trying to scrape off the plaque. Imagine the keys being clean again, those ivories, pearly white. But now when I try to approach it, my piano reacts with a bite.
0: A bite?
1: That's right.
0: Rob, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited about this.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here, here virtually, but here, it's good to be here.
0: Totally, and it's so awesome seeing your, I've decided to call this your creativity layer. That's so awesome. Your keyboard, your chess set, your instruments. Very cool stuff. So Rob, you are, I consider you creativity incarnate, creativity personified. (laughs) I tell my students about you all the time, but mere words don't do it justice. It's another thing to, to experience it. So I'd love to start with a little demo. Oh, okay. talked about this beforehand, but for our our listeners out there, I have a a random word generator pulled up. So, Rob, I'd love to give you just three random words that are truly random. I'm going to click this button that says generate random words. Oh, my gosh. And you can just improv and and riff on that.
1: Let's try it. I'm writing them down because it is early in the morning.
0: Yes, it is 8 a.m. here in Boston. (laughs) We have gone there. All right. So the three (laughs) random words are. Drink, mm-hmm. clothes, uh huh, and planet. Wow,
1: drink, clothes, and planet. Okay, well, let's see what we can do here. I'm going to go over here oh, and pull up my looper, looper pedal board setup. Can you see this in the shot? Yes. I don't know if the podcast will have the visual anyway
0: But Yep, this uh, will go on YouTube So they'll be able to see this And I'll have to ask you how you did this after That is so cool
1: <laughs> Creativity layer, it's all here Yeah, seriously <laughs> oh, Drink, clothes, and planet Hmm, okay Let's see here well i woke up this morning i didn't know what to think i poured some cup of coffee to have myself a drink i did it in my bathrobe before i put on my clothes and then i headed to outer space because you never know where you're gonna go yeah. to Mercury or Jupiter or Mars a little bit of caffeination and you'll find yourself among the stars you don't need to wear much perhaps a suit for outer space it's not like a tuxedo yes that look would be out of place you need like an astronaut suit how about a shreddy rock solo now right there it is my very short <laughs> very short uh song about uh drink clothes and planets
0: wow <laughs> that's gonna be stuck in my head all day that was awesome oh. as i always say when i witness the amazing rob flax so it might be hard to describe but i have to ask i've been wanting to ask you for a while actually okay what what happens in your head when with these things i have this image of something like the matrix or a, or <laughs> or a scene from the a beautiful a beautiful mind where like time stands still and it's like a rrr, swirling. Rrr, and like the rest of the world is moving really slow and then you just pop out with this this awesomeness <laughs> but to the best of your ability because i know it's probably it probably just flows to an extent what so like you're presented with three words like what happens
1: well um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is a a bit of a challenge. There's a thing that uh, I forget who coined this term, but it's a term that I like called expert induced amnesia, which is a good way of saying uh, somebody who's done something for so long is not necessarily good at describing how they do it. Uh, If you ask Rafael Nadal how he hits the tennis ball, it might be strategic about why he wanted to aim left, but not the physical mechanics of which wrist move was doing it. but you know I'm an artist and a teacher, so I try and break it down. Uh, what I just did there was a little looper thing, and uh, part of my live shows for the last several years has been insta songs, where I write a song on the fly. I'm using a pedal called the Boomerang Looper, and uh, let me pull that up here. There's my there's my pedal cam. It's a uh, actually yeah that one. I can just pull it up directly. A little out of frame, but that's my boomerang. And uh, it, it allows me to record myself and then play it back. And it has three different buttons. I've actually taught an entire looping masterclass if people want to find out about the looping techniques that I use. I co taught it with my friend Andy Reiner. Uh, you can find out more at LoopMethod.com. method.com. Uh, we're gonna that you can get replays of the entire two week course. Um,
0: oh, sweet. We'll put that in the show notes too.
1: Yeah. So I'm using the boomerang as a tool for arranging on the fly. So I build up a band from scratch, sort of one layer at a time. First, a short percussive loop to kind of set a tempo. That tempo is kind of based on a mood or a feeling that I get. Maybe it's something from the words that spark something. So drink and clothes are both sort of these short little words that if I'm saying them out loud, drink, clothes, they don't quite have a rhythm, but it gave me about this tempo. It might be that it would be faster if I were two more cups in. <laughs> but that tempo seemed right. Then the next thing that I did was I laid down a bass line. So um, this in the upper, way over here, you can barely see it. There's a, my my subterranean bass pedal. It turns my, uh, my violin into sort of this evil synth bass and... Uh, <laughs> Once I, you know, start playing that, it's sort of, let's pick a chord progression and run with it. Um, oops, there's my all the pedal cam <laughs> close-up view of what I was using there. The U two thirty-five sub octave generator. This is serial number one of of I don't know how many he's made now, but it's a small builder, um, and uh, I I heard it and fell in love with it, and that's my go-to bass thump sound on my main studio board here. So uh, I've got a groove. I, I lay down a bass line. The bass line creates a chord progression. And as I'm layering the harmony, I'm sort of plucking some chords like a, a guitar or a keyboard player might add some pads. Um, I used a delay pedal. My favorite delay pedal is the Chase Bliss Therme. This is a magical device that oh. absolutely transforms everything I put through it into magic. Um, so it just, it gave the right murky background color. And now I have groove, bassline, chords, and I can bring things in and out by turning on and turning off the boomerang as an arranging trick live. And, uh, so then I sort of need to create a verse and a chorus. The verse comes out of, uh, what these lyrics are, uh, drink is the first word and You know, at this hour, this is the only drink I can think about. It's coffee. (laughs) It's usually the only drink I think about. Maybe water, also very good. Um, But uh, then to, you know, try and spin it out from there. You just follow a chain of logical events. Drink and clothes. Okay. Well, I started with woke up this morning. Well, I put on my clothes. So then the next bit, planet is a little bit of a a reach.
0: Right. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) Or pun intended.
1: (laughs) Because there's so much of a discontinuity between the mundane breakfast time activities of wake up, drink coffee, put on clothes. This is something I do every day. Travel to another planet becomes the interesting bit around which the narrative develops. So anything that's out of place is now an opportunity to tell you where the story's going to go. This is this is improvisational skills of. Um make a choice and respond to what happens. So the, the choice here is this weird non sequitur word of planet. Okay. Well now I need to somehow go into outer space. Okay, let's go into outer space. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that and is
1: Yeah, that's that's about it. That's,
0: <laughs> that's awesome. <how> <laughs> we we'll, we'll dig into this in a bit, but is that something that you feel like you were just sort of born with and can just sort of have always been able to do or did you have to actually practice that?
1: <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to yeah, of course I had to practice that.
0: <laughs> I know, I was teeing that up. That's <laughs> Yeah. No,
1: just just give me a softball swish. Yeah, of course one does not come fully formed into the world with that ability. There's at least 20 years of work that have gone into giving me the ability to do that. I've been playing violin since I was eight, and the the ability to play the violin and do all those things comes from years of playing jazz and improvising, and I'm sure I've played that chord progression before. I might have even played bits of that melody before. I definitely have played that groove before. Um, I've used all of those pedals before, and this setup I've been using in this space four months now. So I'm very dialed in with how to quickly access the sounds that I need. Um, I've been using that looper since 2016. And before that, another looper. So I've been looping for, you know, uh, over five years. Um, I've been freestyle rapping since middle school, like back in middle and high school, I used to get into rap battles in the lunchroom and on the back of the bus going to chess tournaments. There's, 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 There's always been there was a time when I actually wanted to teach a course on freestyle rapping at the after-school YMCA program. <laughs> I was a pedagogue in middle school.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. Do, do people, do kids, still do freestyle rapping, or is that is that gone the way? You're of the... asking
1: the wrong guy. <laughs> I am not a kid <laughs> these days, so I could not tell you. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes, probably. I certainly hope so.
0: Yeah, this podcast episode might bring it back. Yeah. You never know.
1: There's a really fun game if you want to practice your freestyle rapping called the Beastie Boys game. And most people listening to this don't know who the Beastie Boys are. But the Beastie Boys were a a group of rappers uh, who had this particular style of, at the end of every line, all of the crew would join in and and say the last word in unison. So you could play a game like this, right? Let me give myself a little beat. Uh, Let's see here. I'm here to say, and then you have to rhyme something and say, I know that horses like to Hey, And the sun beams down with the bright. little rain. You get the idea. If yeah. you're not good yeah. at first, well, that's okay. Kay. Thank you. Right, I did so it right. All right, have, cool. <laughs> if you have friends that you can do this with, you can try it out in real time. And uh, initially you might, miss. And the idea is to try and if you're the one coming up with the line, you have to think of a lyric that ends in a rhyming word, right? And then you have to deliver it in a way that leads the rest of the audience listening who has never heard this thing that you made up figure out the word but you got okay, right? And I could do other words that kind of rhyme with that. And so, so you just practice coming up with rhymes, and then practice Creating setups for those rhymes, so I what you haven't seen behind the scenes is a decade plus of doing that and writing song lyrics and working on rhyming in a popular music forums and studying songs and learning jazz standards and all that. So
0: yeah, yeah, so cool. I love to hear more of the backstory. So take me back to young Rob, eight years old. Oh, Was yes. violin your first instrument?
1: Yes, young Rob. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. The origin story. That's so yeah, right. tell me tell me a bit about your your beginnings, because again, I th- I think when folks see sort of a, a a fully formed artist, there's a sort of romanticizing, like he was just born being able to do this. <laughs> He's but so I, I, talented. I,
1: yeah, how <laughs> did you oh, just so such a gift you have? How did you, you just use your talent? I started playing violin by accident. Oh, okay. It was public school. Third grade, they had an orchestra and band show and tell assembly, and the assembly had all the instruments. You got to hear how people sound on the stringed instruments and then all the woodwinds and the brass, and they played all these instruments. and I thought, hey, wow, that, I really like the sound of that clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't be in the band until fourth grade. You could be uh. in the orchestra in third grade. So I thought, well, I really want to play clarinet. I mean, I know everybody plays clarinet to get to the saxophone because they made a special announcement to say you can't play saxophone until fifth grade. You have to do fourth grade clarinet first. And I was like, okay, but clarinet sounds pretty good. Um, But I'll just do a string for a year and then switch over. Um, And I thought viola sounded really nice. I liked how mellow it was but my mom said, you know, I have a violin in the basement from when I was in middle school and maybe you should start on that since we already have that. Um, And she's not a trained musician by any stretch. She, she, again, had school orchestra program. It got disbanded when she was, uh, I think in high school, their, their school redistricted or something. And so she never developed into a full-time musician of any kind. And, you know, so it's not like I have an innately musical family. I'm not born into the guild. Um, it was pure dumb luck. Um, and the, the next series of fortunate events was, uh, my, my parents did support private lessons for me. I started taking lessons with Julian Aaron, who was the concert master of the Evanston Symphony Orchestra. I'm from Evanston, Illinois. And uh, so uh, Mr. A was great and very patient. Uh, I was not a great student. There were many, 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 many lessons where I showed up underprepared, having not practiced. I had a pretty good ear, so I could hear what it was supposed to sound like and then fudge it. But of course, that completely defeats the purpose of technique etudes and studies, where even once you know how it's supposed to sound, the goal is to play it over and over again so your fingers get better at stuff. I didn't understand that at that age. I was just, oh, I know how this goes, and would not quite nail it and got decent at sight reading just because I procrastinated and never practiced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the big game changer, though, was um, Jim Janice. So uh, Miss Rand was my first orchestra director. And then in middle school, we got a new orchestra teacher. His name was Mr. Janesey, And uh, he asked if anybody wanted to have uh, lessons in jazz and blues because he was he's got this book called jazz philharmonic so randy sabine and bob phillips two great educators and string players uh had written this book for teaching jazz and blues to uh orchestra students and i said sure i would i would love to take additional jazz lessons and this was so freeing the idea that you could make up whatever melody you wanted that you Could play the you. In fact, you were supposed to play the opening melody, but then there was a part in the middle where you just did whatever you want, and then play the melody again at the end. And that was that was very exciting. Um, I've also forever been a a twitchy, fidgety person, so always tapping on the desk and getting in trouble for not sitting still. And it turns out that's actually just I'm a drummer. Uh. (laughs) I'm a percussionist (laughs) at heart, and so everything I do is based around rhythm. So again, jazz was a perfect synthesis of my harmonic and melodic stuff that I was working on on violin with the twitchy, tappy, you know, always foot moving, dancey, twitchy McGee.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like it was a series of some, some happy coincidences and some opportunities given from, you know, teachers and especially in the, in the jazz, jazz alternative style. That's right uh, genre did you have any idea at that point you were going to end up being a career musician
1: not a clue it was just a thing that i enjoyed that i kept doing um there was a time in my life when i had as a sort of inner uh sort of not quite mantra but uh you know way of being of, of keep your options open and keep going uh and and so that was I was always involved in a lot of extracurricular things. I was playing chess. I was playing soccer. I was uh, in the school orchestra. I was on the math team in high school. Things that were interesting and fun for me. Um, And they all ended up sort of staying part of the process in some way or another, just to varying degrees. Like, uh, No pun intended, I, I did end up getting a math degree in undergrad as well as a violin performance degree. So for, for undergrad, I went to a liberal arts college on partial scholarship because of my violin playing. Uh-huh. But I was going for a math degree because I thought that was definitely the thing that I was going to do. Um, but in 2009, I uh, auditioned for a contest that the American String Teachers Association put on, ASTA, and uh, they awarded me Uh, Best Improvisation for the Alternative Styles Awards. They since have stopped calling it Alternative Styles. It's now Eclectic Styles because alternative implies that there's definitely one dominant best path that you have to do, and it's definitely Western European classical music that's the right default. Um, So that's a little pejorative and condescending maybe. So they've changed it to eclectic styles
0: gotcha i'll make sure i that's the last time i use alternative style
1: well you know it also means that since my year was the last year they held the alternative styles awards i remain the undefeated champion of the world
0: (laughs) okay well in that case
1: you know it's i i think i'm an alternative to something (laughs) yeah
0: no i would (laughs) i would say so and chess continues to be a part of your mental process. Oh, yes. I'd, love to, I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, interesting. So
1: be- before there was music, there was chess. Um, I started playing when I was in kindergarten, my parents showed me how to move the pieces. It was one of many things. But uh, in first grade, my elementary school got a chess program. And the coach of this club was named Tom Doan, who coincidentally was a relatively strong player. He's maybe 16, 1700 rated player who uh, was also a tournament director for the United States Chess Federation, the USCF. In general, the Chicago area has a lot of chess. There's big chess programs in a lot of elementary schools, but Tom Doan is probably single-handedly responsible for half the programs in Evanston and like multiple elementary schools. He was the coach at Haven Middle School when I was there. So by the time I got to high school, I'd been playing serious chess with a coach and learning and training Um, like high school ETHS. We were state champions. Uh, And if we at least one year I was a student, the other three, we were in the top 10. So just always a strong, competitive chess team. Uh, The year we won state, I was on board four. Uh, I went seven and oh. So against the fourth best player on everyone else's team, I went undefeated. Maybe if I were on board three or two or one, I I might not have won all my games, but there were three other players at the team who were better than me. (laughs) So I was a a solid board four and a solid number four. Hold my weight. Um, So, you know, chess is a beautiful game that I have been playing for almost 30 years now, because if I'm 33 now and I started when I was four, so it's been 29 years of chess. I can play blindfolded. Um, I can play multiple games at the same time. I can play multiple games blindfolded at the same time while playing the violin. You know, it's 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 second nature. I I have memorized entire games and have favorite historical games and um, it just it's been a, a respite. It's a, it's a beautiful release. It's a nice way to get out aggression if you're feeling like you want to punch someone. Well, the game of chess was invented to prevent a war. Um, oh, I didn't
0: know Because
1: there, there were two kings who rather than fight things out with their <clears throat> literal troops, they decided to have a metaphorical battle and let it be decided on this game of strategy rather than um, cause a loss of life. So for forever, it's been a mental conquest and sort of a, a way of channeling any aggression and violent urges. Um, not that I'm a, Particularly violent person, but everybody no. gets mad sometimes, and you know, uh, it's a good way to get that out.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: um, and, and it's 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 come full circle because now this board behind me—I don't know if you can see. Yeah,
0: yeah, right? we can see it in the video.
1: There, there is a uh, oh, I just knocked over my camera. There's a there's a uh, cable here uh, that. Uh, <laughs> That's probably fine, (laughs) Just knocked over a camera. Um, (laughs) There's a cable coming out of the side of this puppy. Uh, This this is a smart board and it's designed by a company called DGT. They're a Dutch company. This is what the world championship matches are played on uh, because it automatically connects with your computer and can record and document your games. But what I figured out is you could use this as a machine for making music. So I have a software engineer friend of mine who has written some code to turn this into a MIDI controller.
0: Wow. Which is that the only one of its kind.
1: This is the first in the world. This is the chessboard drum machine and, wow. and I'm working on it every day now to try and find out what does a game of chess sound like,
0: you know, Tell me more about that. I'm trying to imagine it, but uh, I don't. (laughs) So let's say two people play a game. Is it the rhythm of when and how people make moves or is each square kind of hooked up to a certain sound or am I totally off on that?
1: It's pretty open ended right now because we're in the early stages. And so theoretically, any and all of those things could happen. Um, The very first version of this. And if you go on my YouTube channel, there's a video called a chessboard that makes music where I sort of demo this. I am using it in a very rudimentary way. It is simply an eight-step, eight-track sequencer. So it's just kind of like imagine a playhead scrolling from left to right oh,
0: okay. on the board. It's looping.
1: And each rank has a MIDI channel and is sending out MIDI notes. And they're just on or off one note per rank, which means you could use it for drums and drum triggering which is actually kind of why I got this setup in the first place was the thing that I don't have in my setup. There is a drum kit behind me, but I don't practice it much um, in part because uh, I have neighbors. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's just rude. Um, But it's also potentially interesting to have some automated rhythm generator um, kind of electronic drums and groove machines. And I'm interested in that. I'm really interested in groove. I've actually taught a master class on groove as well, and I'm going to be running it again at the end of this month. It's called Groove Shop, again with Andy Reiner. AndyReiner.com/groove shop. We should have the info up for that uh, by the time this airs, hopefully. So check it out. Okay. Groove yeah. shop.
0: Groove Shop. Okay. Cool. We'll put that yeah. link in the show notes as well. So I'm just curious. You you mentioned that you can play and play multiple games. Have you ever done that as sort of a Have you ever done that as like a gig slash event, like just play a bunch of games and do a concert? That sounds like it would be a one of a kind, (laughs) remarkable event that I would have to invite all my friends to.
1: That's absolutely the dream. Um, It's what, you know, kind of worked out with reasonably good timing that the world exploded for a year and I could sit here and develop this. Um, By the time things open up again, it should be ready to go. Um, The the next iteration of this will be not just that simple eight-track sequencer thing. I'm now trying to build in code and sort of software that does more dynamic sequencing where each piece controls a number of squares. Actually, that's true in the game anyway. When you move a piece out, it now controls more territory. Common mistake from beginning chess players is they attack pieces and you go after your opponent's queen, but they can just move the queen far more useful and any landowners and monopoly players know this you want to control real estate right right you want to control squares so if you can control the center of the board and make it so your opponent can't move their pieces through there safely you control the flow of the game so my idea in terms of really creating a musical instrument that sounds like the game the next step is to each piece or type of piece so like the Black knights is a is a track the white bishops is a track the white rooks is a track and so each of those piece categories gets its own MIDI channel and the number of squares that those pieces can see becomes the MIDI notes and each square will have note that it sends possibly additional things like uh, midi cc's velocity information gates and triggers and other stuff i've been researching a lot of Eurorack modular synthesizer stuff and there's a lot of buzzwords that i don't understand yet but um i'm i'm trying to understand it so that i can turn this thing into a really serious musical instrument that kind of no matter what it does it will sound cool and the sound will be directly mirroring the game. So if if one player is really winning, their pieces are going to have a lot more sound going on. Oh, know.
0: okay. That is so Ideally. cool. I can't wait to see more of that as it develops. Chess music, awesome. <laughs> yes, yes. I'd love to. Uh, but- I'd love to take it back to your your undergrad years and how that sort of sent you on the trajectory to now. So you you were doing the double major. and math and and violin. Was it sort of traditional conservatory violin or was it, uh, was it the eclectic styles, uh, track or was it that, that sort of a program? (laughs)
1: Well learned, well learned. Um, it's sort of both. Um, so I went to a school called Denison university and Denison has, um, a, it's a, it's a liberal arts college. So there's a math program, everyone's expected to take a certain number of humanities. And I took a philosophy class. I took an economics class. I took a a Sojanth class, uh, a little bit of science. I remember taking an astronomy class. um, But to become a music major, actually, if you were at least a performance certificate minor, your lessons fees were waived. So I was like, I'm definitely at least that. Yeah, I I thought I'm going to be a math and maybe computer science major. I quickly discovered I don't enjoy debugging. And yet here I am. So (laughs) it didn't go to waste, but it wasn't going to be my degree track. Um, The music program uh, Denison has an orchestra. They also have uh, a jazz a couple of jazz teachers. And um, so I was getting some jazz violin lessons. Uh, The department chair at the time was a violinist named Andy Carlson, who is now teaching elsewhere, but uh, he's a bluegrass fiddler. And so there is a bluegrass program at Denison. And uh, they actually have, since I graduated, gotten accredited to offer a degree in bluegrass music. Oh, cool. I was learning classical violin technique in my private lessons and playing in the symphony orchestra. And taking jazz lessons from uh, Pete Mills as a sax teacher, and Tom Carroll was the jazz guitar teacher, and uh, started taking upright bass lessons from Doug Richeson, um, but that was because they needed a bassist for the bluegrass band. And I was really just interested in Jaco Pastorius and Victor Wooten and bass guitar, started playing bass guitar, and then Doug was teaching me bass guitar and said, you know, Rob, there's an opera right at the shop that's a really good deal and so i bought it um but um they also needed a mandolin player so i started playing mandolin and learned a bunch of mandolin stuff mandolin is of course tuned the same as violin so there's been a ton of cross-pollination as i learn. mandolin chords, that turns into more interesting voicings on the violin. And triple stops that might be scary triple stops are like, oh, it's just a little cumbersome because there aren't frets, but I've done that shape before. So um, multi-instrumentalism kind of started in full at Denison because of the bluegrass program and because in one band I was singing and playing violin. Another band I was playing mandolin, and the third combo I was playing upright bass, um, and then I was playing in a band on the weekends called Catty Wampus, who is still touring all over the Ohio area, Columbus and uh, Mount Vernon, and that that sort of mid middle of Ohio area, everything from Cleveland down to Cincinnati. And um, band leader is a big fat guitarist with dreadlocks, Kevin Dread, <laughs> and so we played a mixture of bluegrass and reggae music that he calls Bluegrass the Far Eye, which is pretty outrageous. Um, that was my uh, working gigging experience was every Friday and Saturday night I was out making money but dealing with the hassles of gig life and the, the scenarios of how do you play music uh, for a crowd. I was learning all these, you know, virtuosic jazz like you know, crazy, noty nonsense that um, wasn't really useful if you're backing up a singer and they want, they're singing this thing and I'm coming and going, and Kevin will go, you cut that out, she's singing. <laughs> he didn't actually say that, but, you know, I let's say he didn't have a, a, a gentle bedside manner on the <laughs> bandstand as I was actively overplaying and sort of crapping all over the singer. You know, <laughs> I just had no conception of what my job was in the band was a support instrument, but I'm so used to being this hot shot lead solo thing and um so i got a lot of education from just the the mix of it all you know the rigors of the classical education and working on my solo esai violin the obsession sonata um and i played in the uh the composers thing and was writing music and trying to arrange that for pure ensemble and chamber music stuff and um and then three bluegrass bands and my weekend gigging band Um, you know, just all of it, all of it, all the time.
0: (laughs) Awesome. You said when you were, you said when you were younger, classical or traditional, wasn't really your, your thing as far as like showing up prepared and all that stuff. How, w- how would you say that changed like how, how your, um, cause it sounds like you, <laughs> it sounds like considering you're in college for this now, you probably were showing up prepared now. So how, 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 how was your thoughts around sort of classical training overlapped with your, um, your non-classical stuff?
1: Well, um, I went on after Denison to New England Conservatory for, there's a program there called Contemporary Improvisation. And, you know, the whole time I've been interested in making my own music and working as a composer and writing my own music. Um, so my focus and the thing that draws me most actively has always been, uh, music that has strong rhythmic elements and makes people move and, uh, it, sometimes that is classical music. I would say Tchaikovsky is a really groovy dude, you know? He is, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's so much, Stravinsky is so groovy. Um, and But, you know, all of the harmony that I'm learning in the jazz world, uh, you know, I'm interested in how Miles Davis and John Coltrane and Cannibal Adderley and um, Stuff Smith is my hero of the violin Uh But so so all of these jazz musicians are using these really beautiful dominant chords and diminished chords and whole tone scales and all these beautiful sounds. And then you hear all of that and it's already in Debussy and Ravel and um, the French Impressionist composers. And um, I've been playing as an accompanist for ballet. Uh, Again, actually, that was an accident from Denison. Ah, hmm. two music buildings, there was the music building and then the performance space in between was done dance hall. And so I kept walking past the dance building and hearing this. There's this incredible drumming coming out of the dance building. And I was like, we don't have a drum teacher. Who is that? It was Terrence Carn. Terrence is a dance accompanist and invited me to apprentice with him and play for dance classes so there I I was lured in by the drums but he was also playing for ballet and so he was playing piano and accordion and loved having a violin to help these dancers get long flowing lines so for me as a dance musician classical music helps me learn about phrasing The the, the thing that that sells me the hardest about Schubert and Schumann and Prokofiev, well, Prokofiev's pretty dancey, but, uh, you know, a lot of these great classical composers is their lines are so beautiful. They've taken time to really work through melody and create a line that just flows naturally, and it follows the curve of the harmony. Um, So always now my, my interest in classical music is uh as a composer who wants to use the tools that previous composers have built um and that's really interesting to me i do sometimes play in chamber music settings i the the last time i played uh i played a string quartet on it was i think it was actually it was christmas eve yeah i played a christmas eve mass um, and chamber music, all of the stuff I've learned from playing in an orchestra, all of the dynamics and balancing and playing and just, there's something so beautiful about making harmony with other people. Um, Yeah. So, so having, even if it was simple Christmas carols, having it as a string quartet with a pianist. Oh, amazing. Um, So yeah, my interest in classical music I don't know if i'm answering your question i really really love all of the music i've learned so far and the sheer just the trajectory of where i've gone as a composer and as a creator means that i don't get to play in orchestras that much and i'm rarely playing with a band or a chamber ensemble um most of the time i'm playing my own music solo possibly using technology to help um that's interesting to me i want to always mush everything together and to make something new um so uh, but i love to play it when i get the chance which is you know whenever
0: (laughs) yeah that's so interesting i love the overlap there because i think i think when we're kids there's sort of this perception that you're either like all classical or you're all jazz pop and never shall the two meet But I think there's so there's so much that there's so much overlap there. And there's so much that one can learn from the other that, um, you know, I think it was Bill Evans that was originally going to be like a classical pianist. And now he's like one of the most celebrated jazz musicians of all time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That that sounds right. Stuff like that. So,
0: you know, developing the technique and the sense of phrasing and using that to make your own own stuff. I love how you articulated that.
1: And the music is just so good. It's just so undeniably good. Bach. Is
0: it's like, like the original jazz it. musician. I think
1: <laughs> there's there's nothing but I mean this you can't write anything better than this. You know. Like that's so good, it's so good. But he's a he makes people dance too. It's it, you know, I've played that for a ballet class, and they that move. That's
0: awesome.
1: It's not always square eights, so it's hard for them to count, and I sometimes <laughs> have to round off the edges. And a little bit of swing. <laughs> well, no, but it, it might be like. <clears throat> The, just because they're, the, the, the limitations of the movements are they've got eight counts. So I can't keep playing the over the bar line phrase that Papa Bach came up with. Right. I have to fudge it and change it and, and adjust it and arrange it for the circumstances. Um, but the, the source material is so rich that you could take just the solo partitas and sonatas and write every other piece of music forever using only the materials of that, it's just every chord voicing. You can think of Bach has written out for solo violin. You know, they're all there. So many, well, 90% of, and Ysai found the rest of them. So (laughs) it's, there's so much good stuff there. Um, Yeah. Uh, The other thing I'll say is when I was a student at NEC, there was great admiration uh, between and among the departments. Uh, oh, okay. So the all of the classical musicians, and NEC is one of the top classical conservatories in the world. There's, everybody there is a monster musician who can sight-read. And one of my dear friends, Yannick Rafalimanana who has the best last name ever. Yes. Um, Yannick would often show up and just, he, like, I watched him sight-read the Fauré uh, piano concerto. <laughs> he sight-read that. He sight-read that what's
0: disgusting yeah Um,
1: or 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 my buddy christian boudou uh who would come in and like we we would have a rager college party at his apartment and it's you know just crappy alston student ghetto dorms um and you know there's you know big 30 racks of terrible beer and people puking off the balcony and like deciding who they want to kiss for the first time ever and sort of like dumb college nonsense and then in the middle of the party you know, someone drunkenly goes, "Everybody shut up, shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Everybody shut up!" Chris is gonna play, and then he's, you know, maybe, maybe blackout, drunk, but then we'll play all the Chopin preludes <laughs> in succession. Like these are insanely good musicians who are so skilled. And uh, those were my peers. So, <laughs> of course, I'm going to be taking notes and listening to how they play and like getting, like, another student in our CI program, uh, Yasmina Zayes, incredible Tunisian violinist. Uh, she's something of a pop star in Tunis. And I was taking classical lessons from her because, you know, she was a student at the Menuhin school and was like a child prodigy and had all these chops. And so, my playing was better from just like our hanging out. And I can express all of the things in my head much more easily because of that time and the lessons I took with her and the lessons I took with Tanya Kalmanovich, And it all adds up, you know? Yeah,
0: Yeah. that's phenomenal. So (laughs) going through today, as best as you can sum it up, especially with us, most of us being sort of stuck in our our, uh, artist basements, we'll call it, for the last (laughs) 14 months. What continues to inspire you today artistically in your work to sort of keep you going again and again and again creating? Mm.
1: Mm. Um, quite a few things, unsurprisingly. Um, <laughs> uh, the, this, this has been the acts that I've been playing the most in quarantine. <laughs> a beautiful instrument and guitar has always been the nice perfect harmony spot for me where you can play it like a drum you can play it like a melody you can do full chords on it um when pre pandemic i was writing songs and strumming my violin like a guitar and going on the road with a little tiny looper pedal i would actually do entire tours from boston all the way down to miami on the Megabus. <laughs> so I would buy $1 <laughs> bus ticket from Boston to New York, play a show in New York, buy a $1 bus ticket from New York to Philadelphia, play a show in Philly, buy a $1 bus ticket from Philly to DC and from DC to Durham and Durham to Atlanta and Atlanta, Miami. And you could go up from Atlanta, you could go to Nashville to Louisville to Indianapolis to Chicago. So you can do entire tours on the Megabus and I have. Um, but that means that I could only bring very minimal gear. And in every city, somebody has a piano and somebody has a guitar. So mm-hmm. keys is the next journey for 2021. I really need to spend some time getting my piano chops up. I'm terrible. We should talk. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> anytime. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I, I say that I'm going to be a really good pianist by the time I'm 90 um, is the goal. If I could be an excellent pianist by the time I'm 90, I'll be happy. Um, but more practically, the arranging ideas that I could get from playing two-handed stuff with spread voicings and I want to get tenths in my left hand so I could play full chords and play melody at the same time, um, I'm not there yet. And that's a ton of slogging. You know, uh, Andy Reiner has a podcast called The River of Suck. Yes. Where he, he talks about you have, to, you, you have to suck at something before you can be good at something. So I am thoroughly swimming in the river of suck playing keys and any opportunity I can get to either play that or play guitar. I'm practicing. I have like 15 tabs open in a browser right now with keyboard voicings, cool chicken picking Telecaster guitar licks and you know, jazz arrangement of chord melody for Somewhere Over the Rainbow and just a bunch of, you know, I'm taking lessons on Patreon. I'm going to Barry Harris jazz workshops every Saturday. He's 91 years old and teaching jazz every Saturday on Zoom, by the way. Definitely worth checking out if you're into jazz and piano or piano. Uh, Barry Harris, amazing pianist. Um, so, So those are the two instruments that I'm actively trying to go from mediocre to really good at. 2020 was guitar, 2021 is keyboard and synth stuff. Um, Also the sound design element of it. So like, you you know, just changing some sliders on here versus completely different sound. so right. piano is one thing synth is a whole other beast and even a different take on that so trying to learn how synthesis and sound design works and studying how the using oscillators and filters and vcos and stuff um this is a little tiny mono synth, it's a moog and uh i got this to try and learn how it works and i've been using it in a rock band that i play in we're going to be back on the road pretty soon, um, so I'm excited about that. But the chessboard can control multiple synthesizers simultaneously. Wow! And and does so. I'm trying to come up with cool sounds on and designing sounds that then will pair well with the chessboard. So wow. the chessboard is driving a lot of creative inspiration. I have a bunch of songs that I've written over the past couple of years that I'm in the middle of recording and arranging. Um, Some of my patrons on Patreon have already heard some of that, Um, and this month actually, May, is my two-year patreon anniversary. I've been on Patreon, which is a a crowdfunding platform. People basically, if they like all the creative whirlwind stuff that I'm doing and want to support me, that's a website where you can give me a couple bucks a month in exchange for exclusive content, some lesson videos at the higher tiers. Um, and, uh, you know, some private live streams and uh, gear demos and reviews and, and just a lot of music that I'm writing that maybe isn't something I can easily release under my official artist name. You know, folk singer songwriter Rob Flax is different from experimental ambient soundscapes Rob Flax. Right. You know, there's so many things that I like that it's hard for people to. Be, so what do you do? Well, yes, just all of it. <laughs> right. You know, um, I have an acronym that I use to sort of summarize it, um, because I'm I'm so interested in all of these things. And as you may be hearing, even one of the things that shouldn't be influencing the rest of the things ends up being part of the process somehow. It all gets roped in in some way or another. And the most interesting art in my mind is interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary stuff where you have these multiple skill sets from completely different worlds that don't usually meet. And somebody comes along who studied both and finds all the juicy bits in the middle. Right. So I call that Kojiad. Kojiad is spelled C-O-G-I-A-D. If I had animation, I would put it on the screen here. C-O-G-I-A-D. Kojiad. Kojiad, say it with me now. Kojiad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. It's a, it's a cognitive Iliad. It's a mind journey. No, but Kojiad stands for continuous outward growth in all directions. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I and like that. It's, it's been way easier to explain what I do by just saying Kojiad.
0: <laughs> yeah you clearly yeah.
1: <laughs> you know i had to I, I gotta write a song to explain Kojiat. i was working on that this morning i've got a little bit of lyrics that, that nobody's heard yet because they're not done yet but i'll play you a little little something of what i had yeah. this morning um let me see if i can pull up the recently closed tabs here because it would have been no wasn't that one that one yeah it was that one <laughs> So this is a this is a sneak premiere. I've got a big idea. Biggest one I've ever had. It's something that I think you would like to know. That single word, I've got a word to call it. That single word is called yet. It means that we all have some time to grow. And that's gonna that's gonna turn into a song sometimes it's easier to explain things with songs and with
0: words yes. so yeah i'm going to use that koji ad i don't think you yeah. can say that to somebody and them not ask what that is so that's a nice natural trailer for <laughs> creativity and outward stuff i love yeah. just sort of the, the the clear love of learning and trying new things and just oh. being like i have no idea how to do that so i'm just going to do it
1: that's and then right.
0: in 10 years, you'll be like a pro at it. All right. Well, for you, it'll probably be more like next week.
1: But, well, but no, you've, you've hit upon something exactly right. Right. And, and this is the, the problem with the myth of talent. Um, there's a wonderful book that I would recommend everybody read. It's called The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. And the, the subtitle of it, at least in the edition that I read was greatness isn't born, it's grown. Here's how. And he goes into great detail about myelin and how the brain works. He talks about the Polgar experiment and, you know, this this uh, Laszlo Polgar, I think was his name, but he he set out an ad in the classifieds like, looking for a wife to make world champion chess children. I have never played chess before, would like to make world champion children. And he did. His, child, his children are Judith and Susan Polgar, who are like the best female players in the world. Um, and he had no chess experience. So, he, he, he pretty conclusively showed there that you don't have to be talented to play chess. And similarly, that book has tons of examples of you don't have to be talented. And in fact, talent is mostly a myth. Right. It's, it's about something that sparks that initial interest, uh, sustained access to quality instruction, and, um, you know, sort of this convenient melting pot of luck and uh, resources and inspiration. Right. And a a master teacher and somebody that helps you myelinate properly. It's really important to get a good teacher. So I've been lucky to have a bunch of good teachers. And uh, that means that I'm pretty good at myelinating now, so I can learn things faster. But that doesn't mean I'm talented. That means I'm skilled. That's right. not innate, that's acquired ability. And anybody can do this.
0: <laughs> right. And that leads to actually, before I go to my my uh, my next question, for those at home who have no idea what myelinating is, I know what it is, but oh, okay. what, what would your rendition of that be?
1: Myelin is the uh, insulator. So all of your neural fibers in your brain, whenever you do a thing, anything, it sends little electrical signals from your brain to the rest of you to say, do this thing. If you raise your arm, well, there were little fibers that fired. And I've raised my arm so many times now that it's really easy. I don't have to think about it, right? But if you want to learn a piece of music, let's say, uh, sing, sing me a little melody, something real quick, and I'll try and figure it out.
0: Um, how about bum, bum, bum? Oh, wow, still early. Um, <sighs> bum, ba, dum, bum, bum, bum. Okay, not the most interesting melody,
1: but we'll take that one. So bum bum bum. I'm trying to find that. In my brain, little fibers are firing off. And if I've never attempted that before, I'd have no clue. Right? But because I've done that so many times, I know that's here. There it is. It's in D flat. I found the first note was D flat. And then from there I knew that's a pentatonic up. Da-da-da-da. One, two, three, five. That's that's something that I've played enough times. In fact, John Coltrane uses that same melodic idea. Right. I've played that a ton. There was a period where I practiced that exact melodic idea over and over again really, really fast. So that means in my brain, there's little neural fibers that go, oh yeah, fire those ones. Every time you fire it, it insulates the neurons with a piece of myelin. This is the gray matter that makes it easier to fire next time. An electrical signal that has insulation and shielding can travel faster. So you have to actually build physical stuff in your head and it takes time to build, which is why you need sleep and enough water. Cause the construction won't work <laughs> if you don't give your body the resources it needs. Right. Um, so, you know, that means that next time it's easier to do. This is a blessing and a curse. Practice makes permanent. If you practice something wrong, you'll get really good at doing it wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this is, this is why a master teacher is essential, especially in the earliest stages of your development, because you need somebody to help correct and so that you're myelinating the right thing. There are a few people who are autodidacts who are just so good at self-diagnosing if they're doing something the right way or in intending it the right way. Um, but most people, the overwhelming majority, when you start out, you don't know what you don't know. right? You just there's, there's no there's no way to know, hey, I don't sound good. Like my piano technique is bad, and I know it's bad, but I don't know why it's bad. You know it's probably something about the way i'm using my arms and the weight and i've seen pianists i've seen you even talk about you know the way you use your hands and the weight of your arms and that connects to what i've heard violin teachers say about using the muscles in the back but i haven't actually done the thing to myelinate the feeling of getting the right movements right and so until i take lessons with a teacher it's going to be self-taught and kind of weird. Now, there's a long history mm-hmm. of jazz pianists. Thelonious Monk had, you know, his fingers were like, you know, it's like, I don't know if you can see this on the piano, but they're not yep. the curved ergonomic thing. They're these big sort of plunky, but even even just demonstrating that, I felt wrist tension. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it that's the, that's what Mylin's about, is just getting the right fibers insulated the first time. Um, If you ever get to a fork in the road in the forest and there's one very well-traveled path and there's one off into the brush that looks like maybe a deer has gone down it, but there's still like branches and sticks and stuff, and you're not sure which way to go, you're gonna probably walk on the well-traveled path. Your brain is the same way. If you've practiced a thing in two different fingerings, you're gonna end up defaulting to the one you've done more. And you're never going to get rid of that other path. You know, it's never yeah. going to go away. So if you want to fix something, the only way to fix it is to myelinate an alternative pathway more myelinated than the one you're trying to get rid of.
0: Love that description of myelination. I'm going to use that in my lessons this week. So to, to wrap up, I want to be mindful of your time. A big, a big part of the podcast is to sort of break these the, the, the talent myth Cause mm. so often when seeing somebody like yourself, like we've talked about, it's really easy to fall into the, well, he's sure, clearly gifted. He's getting some kind of divine whatever. And I can never hope to achieve such creative potential. And we've hit on a lot of this, but if there's, uh, you know, a seven, eight, nine year old or a parent or just an aspiring musician hearing this, I mean like, wow, that's really cool. I'd like to be able to do that. What uh, What advice might you give that sort of person?
1: Well, I think I'd say the same thing that I sort of said to myself back in the day, which is keep your options open and keep going. You know, you never know which thing is going to end up being a big part of your life. And skill acquisition is a skill. You know, if you learn to learn, then whatever thing you eventually find is, that's my thing. You'll be better at learning it because you've practiced learning. That's very meta,
0: right? Yeah, meta learning. <laughs> so.
1: So, so even the stuff that I don't continue to do much of, my, my math degree sits somewhat neglected, but every now and then pops back up again. I wrote a fractal hornpipe last year. There's a, it's a fiddle tune that literally is a fractal. So you, you never know exactly where things are gonna rear their heads again. And rather than throw that out and say, that's not for me, um, maybe it's not for you every day as a full-time profession or career but it's definitely for you if you find it even remotely interesting. So my advice is if you find something interesting, do it some more, keep doing it, whatever that thing is, follow your interests because the thing that you are committed to learning about and growing will end up feeding your mind. You'll get stronger, you'll get smarter, you'll get faster, you'll get better at anything else you want to do because you've practiced practicing. You know, the, the discipline yeah. of trying something and failing at it and slogging away and not quite getting it and then working at it and sleeping and practicing some more. The discipline that comes with trying to get better at something that you really want is so worth it and will pay off.
0: Love all the profound awesomeness there. Thank you so much.
1: I, I made stickers that say seven hugs a day uh, because I think people don't get enough hugs in their life. This has been especially true during a pandemic. So as things open up again, ideally get vaccinated first, please, if you can, um, just to keep everybody safe and healthy that can be. Um, that's, that's a good patriotic thing to do is help protect your neighbors and friends. Um, but, uh, you know, get, get your hugs. Give people hugs. I wrote a song about it. I wish that I could send you more than virtual hugs, virtual hugs, virtual hugs. But all that I can send you now is virtual hugs, so I'll try to send you seven a day. I guess I could send you some heart emojis, heart emojis, heart emojis. I guess that I could send you some heart emojis and arrange them in a geometric shape. Ooh, how I long to squeeze you, wrap my arms around you tight. Seems like I'm having amnesia. I can't remember what that was like.
0: So I
1: guess that I will send you my virtual hugs, virtual hugs, virtual hugs. All that I can send you now is virtual hugs. That's all I got. That's
0: all I got. so I send seven, Awesome, <laughs> wow, so cool. I'm gonna have that stuck in my head today as well, along with drinks, clothes, and planets. Thank you so much for this my time thanks. today. This is such inspirational, such inspirational conversation. Great to hear more of your backstory. So much great, helpful stuff that I'm sure our listeners will thoroughly enjoy. We'll include links in the show notes to pretty much every way that somebody can get in touch with you or uh, follow you in any way, shape, or form. And uh, just thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: My pleasure. Mr. Rogers says there's no one else in the whole world just like you, and I like you just the way you are. Thank you for being you, Jonathan.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. Again, this is South Shore Piano, the official podcast of the South Shore Piano School. I'm your host, Jonathan Roberts, and on this podcast, we talk with students, parents, teachers, and other leaders about exactly how music education and the arts are changing lives every day. If you enjoyed this, do hit the subscribe button on the podcasting app of your choice, or if you're checking out the YouTube channel, do hit the subscribe button and notification bell so that you're notified immediately when new episodes are released. We release new episodes every Monday and Friday. Thanks so much, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.